Sandwolf? Sandwolf, yes. Werewolves in the desert. Come on, people. Hello, and welcome back to Elevating the Genre. This is Volume 2, Episode 6. We are your co-hosts. I am Christopher Morrison, and that man is... Dama. Dama, and we are here to talk about all things that make smart, geeky stuff actually smart and mostly geeky. Uh, (laughs) Okay, okay, so I'm pretty (laughs) sure most of everyone has noticed it is not November. Um, uh, If you haven't noticed it's not November, uh, I apologize for the spoiler. Welcome to December. I'm well into (laughs) December, in fact. Um, Whoops! Uh, Yeah, we were supposed to do this whole, like, four podcasts on a theme a month thing um and just life has sort of gotten the better of all of us but that's groovy uh but we are still staying on that topic uh for this uh podcast which is myths and legends if uh, you're confused about what that sort of is or means go ahead and uh head back to uh volume two episode five and figure it out um so uh we will be uh delving into myths and legends sort of as they uh retain to uh sort of just more like the folklore end of things this time last episode we sort of focused on well, let's be honest, sort of weird ancient ancient religions and how they sort of crossed yeah. over into comics. Really? Well, we did a lot of gods. And we did a lot of gods. We did a lot of gods, and now I feel like we're doing monsters. And for me, that covers yeah. a lot of territory. There you go. Exactly. Um, but before we do uh, do jump into folklore-y, myth-y, legends-y, monsters-y things, um, and how they sort of cross over into our, our pop culture... We always start with our segment, What's Elevating Our Genre, where we turn you on to what we think is smart and cool out in the geeky world, either current or just happen however it's crossing Dom and mine's path. I don't know. who You go first this time. Dom, what's okay. elevating your genre this week? Back to a reliable topic. I'm very excited about Rose Tico in the next Star Wars movie that's coming out this week. I guess it already opened in Europe. Uh, no, it will open. Um, I'm going to go see it tomorrow what? night, actually. Uh Oh, for real? Oh, okay. Yeah, for real. So, uh, Rose Tico, uh, I have not been, uh, I've not, I mean, I'm not, I'm, no, I'm not a no-spoiler kind of guy most of the time. Well, on big things I am, so I don't know about this character. Who was this? Or who's oh, this? okay, so one of the new, char- one of the new characters in uh, Star Wars 8 The Last Jedi is uh, named Rose Tico, and we're all kind of excited about her because she's an Asian-American actor. Her name is oh. Kelly Marie Tran. She's Vietnamese. And, you know, mm. I... For better or for worse, that you know, casting an Asian character with a story arc is still a notable enough thing that for we you know, sure. look out for it on our uh, Asian American actor watch, which is you know a side hobby if you're me. <laughs> and um, yeah, and also, and also she's American. You know, yeah. It's supposed to be British, like but All basically right. everyone in Star Wars is British. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's another one for the home team that we're rooting for her um, so you know it's all speculative we don't know about much about her the plot um okay. but the reason i'm especially interested in it is because you know as i've said a thousand times i love rian johnson i'm very excited about yes. real clever writer director mind being applied to star wars mm. and uh, i think he you know epitomizes really interesting genre work you know again there's my, yeah. you know, my favorite film of his was first, where he just kind of put together noir and a high school mm. soap opera and created a comedy. It was kind of like a weird yeah. genre alchemy. Yeah, for and, sure. Um, I mean, yeah, Brick is definitely one of my favorite movies, probably the last twenty years for sure. I mean, it's it's 
mad crazy genius. Yeah. And also, and like that Breaking Bad episode that he did with the fly was sort of like oddly half whole horror movie and conscious of that thing. Oh, fuck. With, I don't uh, remember that episode. The episode with the fly. Which episode oh, yeah, was, it was that? It was a little bit of a... It's it's the one. It's it's kind of what do you call it? It's those ones that are a, a bit more standalone out of bottle episodes. It's yeah. it's basically, I believe, um, Walt just is trapped in his lab, and there's a really annoying fly. It might be Jesse. See, I'm misremembering it because it's I outside can't of remember. Me. I don't remember that episode, but again, I I watched that sort of when <laughs> oh. it first came out, and never never again. So I mean, yeah, I mean, not it, never again in a bad right. way. Just like I just never, I haven't gotten back to it. So uh, okay, so cool. It, it's it's an easy one to miss, but but literally, like the A story is, he's trapped in the lab, and there's annoying fly, <laughs> which is awesome. Of, but but it becomes the whole show. It's like it yeah. is like a horror movie. It's like a psychological stress out scenario nice. where he's just finding ways to deal with this fly while he's trying to make you know huge amounts of oh, <laughs> illicit methamphetamines. <laughs> anyway, that's obviously a tangent. But just to sum up the point, no um, meth in Star Wars, people. Probably, um, because, I will be very surprised. Kyber crystal what, meth. Oh my god! I said I'll be surprised if there's any meth in Star Wars. Although Kyber crystal meth. Now, what? Look at that! Look okay. at what I just invented. Right. I'm very excited. Is. Oh wait, there's another side rant about the blue milk and meth. And I, I have a theory that Breaking <laughs> Bad analogs to Tatooine in a way, in this whole way that we. Oh um, my god ever seen because you know tatooine is a you know it's a desert economy they're not fucking you know what yeah what what, what does that economy ex- exist on That's you know question. it's not fucking moisture farming, moisture farming. <laughs> that's like a freaking subsistence crop and we know there are tons right. of gangsters there sorry this rant right? is a long rant but it's an important one but we know there are tons of gangsters there and yeah. a big criminal subculture we don't know exactly what they're dealing in we know they're smuggling something yeah that's so true so it's a de- desert economy like new mexico so you're wondering what is the what is the what is the economic product that's keeping this planet going and we know they all drink that weird blue milk <laughs> and they're all a little spaced out and they're all and oh there are all these is people. This, is, is this your theory? Did you come up with this? No, no. This is this is a theory I've been developing for a while. I actually, I, I actually God, you know, ran it, ran it by the. How many times am I going to fall in love with your brain, Dom? My God, I'm sorry. Keep going. Yes. Okay. So the blue milk is 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 analogous to <laughs> meth. Keep going, yeah, brother. The, I'm the, loving the blue this. milk is now is analogous to to the meth. You know, the ant brew and then they drink their little spaced out. Never mind. There are a whole bunch of people in the desert who are clearly just like. You know, cracked out, took way too much drugs. These you know, the sand Shower. people just go around fucking, oh, you know, God. stripping people's cars. This Never is, mind. Again, oh, there's God. there's an old guy in the desert who's you know uh, a wizened old master of arcane arts. Are you gonna write this shit up, man? Like you've got to yeah, write yeah, up yeah, like the, a fucking the, piece, the, man. This is amazing. The working the working title is Breaking Bantha. Breaking. Um, <laughs> And it, and it's only it's basically to explain what is going on tat, on Tatooine. So you you when, did just you turn know, Han Solo. You did just turn Han Solo into into a meth smuggler. So I do want that noted. But all right, keep going, keep going. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I <laughs> I think he's been complicit in that. Something, but you know, he had to pay the bills. I mean, that, that's part of it. I mean, that's that's the Breaking Bad story too. You know, what's what what a good people do at the promise of, you know, a large drug 
smuggling profits or drug making profits. So there's a whole story there, I think, and it might get to the bottom of what's I going mean, yeah, on. Yeah, and Jabba, I mean, at least it makes sense that Jabba is a fucking drug runner. Because what else? I, yeah. I never, I don't think I ever thought about how did Jabba get rich? Is he running guns? He's, who is he running? Yeah. Nobody, obviously. There's I mean, no war on fucking Tatooine, so. Yeah, why are there all those bounty hunters and fucking scum and villainy there? Why exactly? Are they all just hiding out from the law? I think they're engaged in some kind of business. Yeah, like what is what is the Hut's business? I'm sure in some stupid book they answered this question, but I don't care. <laughs> but now I'm convinced it's it's fucking crystal blue meth milk. That's awesome. You are <laughs> God, and I, as usual, bow down to your greatness. That's well, you said man. you said Kyber crystal. You said Kyber crystal meth, so I had to go on that tangent. All right, and enough. and who knows? Maybe maybe there's some kind of weird new take in the last jedi but the thing i'm worried about <laughs> is that as as uh you know progressive and innovative as rian johnson is he he does his his asian woman characters are kind uh, of like not yeah. ele- elevated yeah, he has he has no. this i guess we call it a blind spot there sure. i mean for sure they're not they're not bad they're just a little they're underdeveloped and 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 you you feel they're there for an ornamental purpose. Yeah. And I'm speaking specifically in the second movie, um, Brothers Bloom. There's this great, you know, the cool Japanese sidekick lady, uh, and and you know she's she's a real cool character. And then she just kind of dies, and we don't even, but we don't no, even this, know that she dies. You know, no, she's just like, it's just like a complete fall off, like character. Uh, the, caring about the resolution of that character which always struck me as weird it's like we were kind of invested her and you're gonna make it like uh oh she just blew up and like no one even comments on that um and then of course looper which is another cool Mm. genre bending movie yeah and one not non-genre bending part of it you know what i'm going towards uh yeah no the uh, the ornamental asian uh lady bruce willis yes of course this lady who's extremely beautiful and doesn't talk, and that's supposed to be like a, an emotional signifier for Bruce Willis's right. journey. Exactly. But, and you know, if you're you know oversaturated with the Asian stereotypes as I am because I watch too many of them, um, you know, you, you're you're sensitive to these things. Anyway. Yeah. But 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 so totally valid critiques. Right. So uh, love the guy has has this one little area of. Um, representation that we would like to critique on and now we have a great opportunity because rose rose dico is definitely in it and she's she's supposed to be a cool character she's like a mechanic she definitely joins resistance and she talks and she has this whole thing with finn but anyway well the antenna will be extra you know sensitive on that uh, area okay yeah 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 (laughs) we shall see i will see you on wednesday I will see tomorrow night because um, we are recording this on a Tuesday. Well, my Tuesday night, Dom's Tuesday morning or afternoon. No, eh, just barely afternoon. Okay, uh, my uh, uh, elevating the genre this week is uh, for longtime listeners. They may know. I think I've announced this a few times. I am now officially doing a watch through of the fifth, sixth, and seventh seventh Doctors um, from Doctor Ooh. Who. Uh, uh, all of the sixth doctor was was one of my main doctors as a kid growing up because of my my PBS station gave me a bunch of that. I got very little fifth doctor and, and a little bit of sprinkling of seventh. So I've just finished my run on the fifth doctor and uh, yeah, just 
a bit surprising in terms of like the fifth doctor so i know dom is not a huge doctor who fan and maybe not everybody else is especially classic who is sort of colloquially in fandom known a little bit as the beige doctor he's wearing a beige coat beige pants and he's a cricketer he's he's, he's the he's the be honest with you he's kind of the sporty doctor um he's the sort of first sporty doctor if there okay. was all, if the doctors were spice girls he's definitely sporty spice um uh okay. someone's going to actually try to physically sporty is the best in my opinion for or whatever that's worth. Well, there you go. Um, uh, he's cr- well, remember he's British, so he's crickety sporty, so he's not outwardly sporty okay. too much. <laughs> but um, he also has uh, what we, what they tend to call a crowded TARDIS, so uh, multi- many companions at the same time. So he's also kind of known as Doctor <laughs> Dad as well because his companions are young and stuff. But I, what I was really surprised with is how bloody confrontational um, that his Doctor run is. Even though he's sort of Dad Doctor, he's like kind of pissed off dad doctor an awful lot like all of his kids are teenagers mm. and he's just they're constantly he's constantly yelling at them and he's kind of he doesn't gaslight uh, a character named tegan a lot but he's certainly he kind of calls her stupid a lot um which was a bit surprising to me um remember this is early early mm. 80s british television folks so um but uh uh it is interesting at least tegan is able to sort of fucking give him some guff back and uh, a lot and uh Tegan's an interesting companion because she's not – she's one of the few quote-unquote non-capable companions, meaning she's fucking an airline stewardess who literally wanders into the TARDIS during the fourth Doctor's run. Like, And she's uh, she's also um, Australian, which is bizarre um, uh, oh, as well. Okay. Um, uh, so she's from a colony, but she has no particular skill set, right? Like she's not a scientist. She's not a mathematician. She's not another fucking alien. She's a fucking airline stewardess. Um, and her only, uh, I think the, I think the superpower they were trying to give her was sort of like guff, like being a bit of a liberated woman who could sort of give the doctor a little bit of guff. Um, and she's Mm. very brave and has a big heart and all that kind of stuff. But anyway, so I was a bit surprised that the fifth doctor run, I was expecting a little bit more sort of dadly cuddliness out of him. And he, he's, he's, he's a bit of a prick, um, for a dad, um, nowhere near as much of a prick as the sixth doctor, which is actually one of the reasons I love the sixth doctor because he's, he's just an asshole sometimes, which is really fun for me. Um, so he's not in the fifth doctor. Wait, I'm sorry. Did you just frame that as fifth doctor, mm-hmm. not quite a prick enough and sixth doctor, just a plenty of prick, good, a good l- amount of prick. A little bit. I guess that's a way to think about it. I mean, not the sort of the, the sixth doctor is like a super arrogant asshole, right? Which is, I don't know why that I, I like that. I think when I was watching the sixth doctor, I was just starting to, to come into my own confidence and I was playing with arrogance a little bit. And so I really enjoyed watching one of my sort of on television heroes go from this, you know, again, my, my doctors, I skipped the fifth doctor. So I was like fourth doctor and third doctor. And even though the fourth doctor can be super arrogant, he's still really kind of friendly and smiley and, and, and all this stuff. And, and, but the sixth doctor just comes right out of the gate as a, just a, a raging narcissistic dickhead um which is interesting to me but he's still the hero which is kind of cool um anyway uh the fifth doctor so i was expecting like i said since everybody calls him the dad doctor a bit more cuddliness um and he's not cuddly at all um so there you go Hmm. um interesting it's an interesting run and it's just uh it's also a point in doctor who which is an interesting place it's after the fourth doctor the major you know it's it's been super popular it's kind of waning in its popularity and this fifth doctor guy this younger guy comes in and and you can also see a bit of the template for the reboot in 2015 and the Peter Davidson doctor uh, in that fifth doctor because he's a bit younger. Um, <clears throat> it's interesting. Um, but yeah, but I won't go into any other reason why. But just, you know, fifth doctor, okay. some classic doctor who never hurts. Also just fucking cool 
BBC 80s, uh, early, super early 80s television in terms of writing, in terms of uh, the studio, yeah. the way they shoot the, the TV. And it's just, it's, you know, it's a cool piece of history in terms of watching how that was all put together. Um, yeah, so it was cool. That was neat. Some, check out some Fifth Doctor if you got some time, people, and you're, and you're feeling some classic who uh, give Peter okay. Davison another run. It's a good time. All right, so there is, you... is your aim to get? Was your? Oh, sorry, mm-hmm. I was just asking. Yep. Is, is your aim to get to the seventh Doctor for some reason? Is there some completion? Yes, that because the seventh when... Doctor ends the classic run. Um, so okay, seventh Doctor. Yeah. They take a hiatus after that. Yes, exactly. Uh, it gets okay. canceled. Yeah, it gets canceled before, <clears throat> and you get a TV series, get a TV, an attempted American TV reboot of Doctor Who in uh, the early nineties. So they get it. We get an eighth Doctor um, as a, an attempt as a TV pilot, which is a. Uh, generally referred to as the Doctor Who movie uh, TV pilot uh. Um, with an eighth Doctor. Um, uh, and then that goes nowhere. Shock, surprise. Um, and then we don't get the reboot until 2005. So there you go. Um, uh. There it is. Yeah, that's how that all fits together. Um, anywho, here we go, people. Myths and legends, monsters, things. One thing we're not doing, guys, is we're not going to go into fairy tales, right? I'm not – I don't want to talk about that just because it's boring to be honest with you. And I think everybody sort of talks about that stuff and uh, there's a lot of thoughts and literature on that crap. So we're not doing fairy tales, um, although obviously fairy tales fit squarely into folklore and, and, and myths and legends and all that stuff. But I uh, I just don't – I don't have anything new or interesting to say about it. So we're going to skip over that shit. Where, where's your fairy tale boundary? Just that's a good question. That is an excellent fucking like, question. Actually, thank you, Don, for Don, for making me actually commit to something. <laughs> no, no, I think that, I think that's a very interesting restriction. But I, I mean, mean, like, I just is, you know the European is it like Hansel and Gretel versus exactly. yeah, like, Beauty and the Beast a fairy tale. Or? Yeah, for me, yeah. I mean, anything out of if you guys know the colored mm-hmm. fairy tale books, anything out of the Grimm's Tales, anything out of um, Hans Christian Andersen. Um, and while all of those, and I'm not, folks, I hope you understand, I'm not skipping them because I think they're quote unquote kid stuff. By no means, I'm very well versed in oh. the way fairy tales work and what their what their function in society was and all that stuff. And they're definitely and how they were eventually warped into kids kids literature. And uh, so, don't yell at me mm. for that. Mm. That I get. Um, it's just a. Uh, yeah, I guess also if we start talking about fairy tales, there's just no way to escape talking about Disney movies, which is also not something I'm totally keen on. But we will. I want to dive in it. We're gonna we're gonna go ahead and start here. We will dive into some animation and some, right. and some and some stuff because I think that's a good place to start. So, and Dom, I'm gonna hand this one over to you because I know I think you've got more of a, a take on this than I I I, I do. Um, I mean, I have a take, but it's mostly negative, and nobody here needs to hear that shit. Thinking about the monster thing for a while. I mean, part of my resistance to some of the reboots of the classic monsters like you know dracula frankenstein mummy whatever is that i i think they tend to um i think there isn't as much progressive energy it's kind of relying on like the old it's just trying to find a new way for them to be scary and domineering I, I, i wasn't gonna make a big defense of of the Disney animation or the fairy tales, I'm right. I'm right with you in skipping past fairy tales as oh, okay, a sort great. of yeah. And, and it's just, I mean, yeah. And it just, and again, it just, it's, it spawns, you know, just a lot of shitty. To be honest, with you, I think it does spawn. I mean, look, there's a lot of Disney movies that you know empirically are good, are, are probably are good films, well put together, well made. Excuse me. Um, even though if they have some, you know, 
horrible patriarchal sort of underpinnings, um, as a lot of the source material does anyway. That not that Disney, and so Disney took a long time for Disney to start kicking against that shit. Um, and you know, right. but and to be, but to be, and you know, I don't want to give short shrift to think something that is slightly revolutionary, like a Mulan, where they put a female Asian character in the center and they're mining another culture in a, in a way that is perceived as very respectful um oh yeah no, no they they try they try to do a lot of things they're they're they're, they're also bound by their own you know disney happy fluffiness which is right. i guess maybe the most in, insidious thing that they uh have to layer on top of everything <laughs> exactly um, which is my which is which is the end of my rant would end with and fuck disney because they have enough money and they could easily start a, at least a teenage or an adult animation wing and it wouldn't hurt anyone it wouldn't hurt their brand they could rebrand it as not disney just release it through buena vista pictures and no one would know and, and just do a, a whole and try to elevate american animation in a, in a way that that uh, that could easily be done because they have enough more money than fucking god um but they refuse to do something like that because you know it doesn't matter because they're too busy cracking out princess dolls or whatever the fuck yeah. um is their business model but anyway i didn't want to talk about this this <laughs> they're, is they're why play, they're playing the waiting game where you just have kids and you need to buy their shit anyway exactly. they don't need to <laughs> yeah. they don't need to make content that they, catches up to your adult self exactly but, yeah and they, but yeah. as you said we're, we're back <laughs> We're totally not talking about Disney. <laughs> okay, we're done with that. So here's where how okay. I want to frame okay. it. Um, here's how I would like to frame it. So and in a way, this also traces a little bit about, for my money, a little bit about how sort of pop culture even comes to be, which is interesting. Now, I know this is going to sound weird, people, and then just hold on. I promise this will make sense because I got to go back to the Inquisition. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, I know didn't just, expect that. Didn't expect that one now, did you, folks? Now, here's the deal with the Inquisition because the Inquisition creates a, a craze. It's actually a craze. Like it's a fad and people have – there's plenty of sort of socio-anthropologist um, uh, people that, that, that study fads and crazes and, and, and are very happy to throw the Inquisition in there. Now, what the Inquisition actually f- fadifies – I just made that up. That's a cool word, fadifies – creates a fad out of is witchcraft. Right and the devil himself, right as 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 a thing that a, a normal person now has access to, right. The wonderful weird thing about Christianity is up to this point, you know, there are sinners and 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 all of this good stuff. Um, and of course, there's always been witches and whatever. But the witches were like out there, like witches were and wizardry was all out there. What the Inquisition said was, no, 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 no. Everybody's a fucking witch, and everybody has the potential to be a witch. There's a witch that's living next door to you. Your grandma's a witch. Your fucking your fucking your 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 fucking feet could be in, uh, possessed by a witch. Whatever. And it creates this weird fad, right? And uh, or paranoia, however you want to say. Whatever you want to say. And we're going to hunt them down was the idea of the Inquisition, right? Yes, of course. And we're going to hunt them down. Yeah, Clarification. Okay. Absolutely. And we're going to hunt them down. Now, for people to try to even get a little taste of this is if you know or live through or maybe even remember the witchcraft devil craze of the 1970s um, where you could not literally turn on the television and not see a news piece about – some bloody Christian crazy person claiming, you know, there was devil in D and D, or there were devil in the Tolkien books, or you know, the mm. de- you know, there was ma- black magic happening in the woods. Um, and so, what happened in the seventies? All of the pop culture turns its head that direction, and you get a bunch of fucking devil worshiping movies in the sixties and the seventies. Now, going all the way back to the origin originator of this, which is the Inquisition, the same thing happens around there with 
what is popular at the time, which is, you know, not much, but a little bit of stage stuff starts to happen. We got to sort of fast forward this now, like a lot, just for just for fucking podcast sake. So let's let's just jump way ahead. <laughs> this yeah. is awesome, in my opinion. That, oh, <laughs> thank you. Um, I'm glad you think so. We're gonna fa- we're gonna jump way ahead to the seventh, way ahead to the 18th century now. Um, but just remember that witchcraft devil craze thing. It never quite really goes away, and again, it and it passes all the way through Shakespeare, ladies and gentlemen. Again, if you don't know what Macbeth is about, it's about fucking witchcraft. That's what. Everybody always makes it nice and fluffy, mm-hmm. not fluffy, but everybody wants to make it nice and literate, literate and be like, it's about a, it's about a guy struggling with power, bullshit. It's about witchcraft. It's about motherfucking witches. Yeah. And you have to remember in Shakespeare's time. And now we're just, that's the best part of that play. Of course, it's the best part of the play. Right. I mean, the fucking witches the coolest come, things. Yeah, man, the fucking witches come on stage and uh, they don't speak in iambic pentameter. They speak in quadramic, um, uh, trochaic, um, trochaic quadrameter, man. They speak backwards. Fucking dig that shit, all right? And if you have any idea what I'm talking about. Hearing the word trochaic. Trochaic quadrameter, right? Trochaic. Trochaic. Trochaic quadrameter, my favorite. They literally speak backwards, right? Um, And you have to remember, in the 1600s, these motherfuckers thought these ladies were still living next door, right? So that's fucking scary. And they actually cast a couple of spells on stage, which would, would have freaked the living shit out of people. So don't forget, Macbeth is a goddamn horror play, so... Mm. Fuck all you people who make the witches stupid. Um, anyway, sorry. Um, we're going to jump from that. Um, moving forward, uh, just moving good, on. Good t-shirt slogan. Yeah, t-shirt slogan. Staying with the British stage from eight, from like around 1790 to like 1825, uh, you get a whole bunch of like sort of the gothic movement is in swing and you get gothic plays, right? It's fucking dig some of these titles, you know. Fitz's Ball, The Devil's Elixir, right? Uh, the Castle Spectre, um, uh, and The Vampire, right? Uh, just shit called The Vampire in 1819, a play called The Vampire. I know nothing about it, sorry. Can't, so I can't, can't tell you anything about it. Uh, you also get um, uh, The Penny Dreadful start to come out, which are just these incredibly, incredibly cheap versions of horror literature, all based on folklore, excuse me, motherfuckers coming back from the dead, vampires, uh, ghost stories, um, people killing people in horrible ways. Uh, really, it's, it's sort of the beginning of the horror, uh, one of the printed horror genre, right? Although, please don't forget, like I said, even start going back to Macbeth, horror has been on stage for uh, over two centuries by this point, right? <clears throat> excuse me. Um, and... Uh, and the stage equipment, the, the penny dreadfuls were so popular they would transition to stage, and they would be called they would be called the penny gaff, um, which I like. Um, and the other thing about the penny dreadfuls I have to bring up is that they were not coincidentally, as everybody who pays any attention to this shit should know, were of course considered a path to juvenile delinquency, right? Just oh, like sure. the gothic novel will be will be the next thing will be blamed on juvenile is the gothic novel, then the and then of course comic books and video games and heavy metal, all of those things. It's just the same. Uh, it's just the older generation looking back and saying, whatever that thing is, I don't understand it. Fuck it. It's making our kids terrible instead of the fact that we just hate our children, right? They can't <laughs> admit it themselves. Or the gateway drug to being a, a real adult devil worshiper devil. exactly like. right exactly you know it's all it's just mm-hmm. it's i think it's i'm eventually I'm, I'm hopefully going to eventually write just some kind of weird book where it just you know everything that is either satanic or a ju- accredited juvenile delinquency or accredited to making 
kids either dumber or have less attention span and just and just somehow i don't know i'll write a book where i list all of them everything from the waltz to fucking you know chamber music to everything that was gonna that destroys the youth anyway so mm. petty dreadfuls are on that list <clears throat> so let's jump over to literature shall we um actual literature which is obviously forming it very formative at this time and again we're talking super we're talking now we're talking foundational stuff that you guys will completely recognize as transitioning into the public consciousness in a huge way frankenstein of course you cannot underestimate the influence that the the novel frankenstein by the 19 year old mary shelley writes in 1816 it's published in 1818 not she was only 19 19 yeah it makes you want to kill real? yourself yes it makes you want to kill yourself doesn't it 19. dang yeah yeah <laughs> Um, nineteen. And be brought back to life as a monster. But. Yeah. So, not just for maybe again for those that maybe don't have the context, Frankenstein is credited with kicking off not only the science fiction genre as we know it, right? Taking science and putting it in the center of the story. And yes, of course, it's science. It's, but it's not really science gone wrong. Actually, if you read Frankenstein, it's science does exactly what it's supposed to, and then. Uh, Victor Frankenstein, Dr. Victor Frankenstein is a dick to his creation, and so his creation gets pissed off, um, educates itself, and then just basically wants to kill its creator. Uh, that's actually not a negative. It's not a knock against science. It's a knock against being a dick to your son, right? <laughs> being a mm, dick to right. who you, who you create, the thing you create, actually, if you read the book. But anyway, um, people misinterpret that, of course. <laughs> the science was solid because that monster works. Totally solid. <laughs> Dude works. Dude comes back from the dead. He's fucking Damn. useless when he's born, and he educates himself, right? Like he doesn't. He goes out into. The, I mean, it's amazing. It's actually. Yeah. It should be held up as like the fucking American novel of all time. Talk about bootstrapping. He has to fucking go find yeah, totally. boots, um, and go find. He educates himself and becomes this incredibly educated man. Um, but anyway, oh. um, so that's eighteen eighteen, right? So obviously. Boom. Creation of science fiction. Boom. Solidification of basically horror literature that is taken seriously and is popular in its own time. Um, and of course, there is the next one you guys will recognize, of course, is Dracula 1897. But please remember, we do forget this. We tend to forget this. There are a bunch of antecedents to Dracula, right, as the as the the sort of crowning vampire novel, because it's 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 not it's antecedents there's this one that's the first one is uh written by i'm going to mispronounce this i always mispronounce i think it's dr polidori i hope is how you pronounce that and he's got a book called the vampire uh or the vampire with a y which makes it extra gothic-y and cool um yeah there's also james malcolm rhymers i am dying to eventually write a script based on this i need to read it but i don't care i'll invent my own script it's <laughs> it's called Possibly the least scary title of all time, Varney the Vampire, people. <laughs> Varney spelled V-A-R-N-E-Y, but it is before Dracula, but and it was popular. Now, they renamed some genius. Did, did that invent kids' literature version? <laughs> <laughs> Apparently not. Now, they someone eat that up now. Hey, Varney the Vampire. Varney the Vampire. Now, apparently, someone eventually gen- very smartly remained it Feast of the Feast of Blood, um, which is a much scarier yeah. title. So good for them. Um, and then okay. I, it, it, supporting the uh, the the name the creature uh, books, uh, there's George Reynolds. <laughs> you ready for this? Wagner the vamp, Wagner the werewolf, um, spelled with a W, of course. Vag- 
Oh, Wagner the Werewolf? The ve- Wagner the Werewolf, yes, as far as I or know. Or Wag- Wag- Wagner the Werewolf. <laughs> or Wagner the Werewolf. I'm not sure how you're supposed to pronounce it. This is this drops in uh, 1846. My God. My uh, God, yes. So Vardy the Vampire. I mean, of course, I need to write. Then I need to write. I need to write both of those scripts. And then I need to write the the, the culminating sequel, Varney the Vampire meets Wagner the Werewolf. Um, of course. And, and totally. Totally. And maybe having Costello so will show good. up. I don't know. Um <laughs> Uh, so and then from there, of course, you get Edgar Allan Poe. Although he, which is interesting about Poe, is everybody you know is feels that he's he's super gothic and he's using he draws on all of these things, but he really doesn't use many myths or legends. He sort of creates hmm. his own, um, and he's so much more about atmosphere that we forget that he Poe doesn't have a werewolf story. He doesn't have a vampire story. Doesn't have any um, creatures, right? You know, <laughs> we're, not, we're not counting the raven as a creature. Exactly, he doesn't have too many creatures. He's, you could argue, I guess, some of this stuff is ghost story esque. Yeah. Um, but again, that's not his. That's not his primary interest. But people lump him in there, so we'll we'll, we'll throw it in there, because um, he does have a sort of a um, incredibly folkloric feel, right? It's it's a lot of like feeling like the old times are coming to press in on the modern times and invade, mm-hmm. um, uh, which is a bit my take on it. Sometimes a bit. Um, so and then. As all this is happening, sort of towards the end of this run, we hit the 1890s. Again, Dracula's not until 1897, so but around all this time, uh, over good old, good old, the good old French get involved here um, and start throwing up some grand guignol, um, which actually originally started as a, as a bunch of just puppet shit. Um, but in the 1890s and 1900s, it just immediately becomes blood-soaked murder theater, which is and becomes famous for among other things, live scalpings, um, which are, of course, really? these are all gags. These are all gags, right? These guys are the first special effects aficionados, right? Live mm. scalpings and then very famously eye gouges, on stage eye gouges, um, which was actually considered one of the – it's one considered in theater canon, particularly in stagecraft, one of the secrets that is can still be learned and you have to try to find out how to do it because they do it full on stage. It's not like you know, guy turns his back to the audience. It's a guy in, in parallel to the audience drilling into another person's eyeball. Um, and how do they pull that wow. shit off? Yeah, wow. It's, okay. it's impressive shit. Um, so anyway. Um, and – they're gothic. They don't. They occasionally throw some werewolves around. Um, not too much. They're usually off stage, or they like you know whatever. You get a nice werewolf hand coming on, just just reaching on stage. They were smart enough not to go that far. But there's a lot of ghost stories in it. Um, a lot of pe- dead people coming back from the grave and like um, and murder and just and it's just fucking straight up murder theater. Um, uh, and. So that's all happening as well. But then again, definitely influenced by sort of the, 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 the fear of the folkloric outside, like Poe, the outside coming inside, right? The others mm-hmm. arriving. Um, th- and I'm just going to skip straight from here to the Universal Monster movies. Um, uh, so do you have anything <laughs> else you want to add or yeah, we talk not? about that we cracked into there a little bit or anything from stage or some of that literature world that maybe you want to you take? Oh, no, I found at? that. Fascinating, and uh, uh, Grand Guignol is one of those words I've always, I had never known what that is because I'm afraid of pronouncing it because I still can't pronounce it. But that's, but yeah, it's a tough one. Good old French GN. Um, so you're talking about sort of the, the intertwining history of archetypal creatures and monsters and also horror and how we experience, right. yeah, 
that you know monsters as horror obviously monsters are not always horrible but they're they yeah. do go hand in hand in the we seem to have okay. them, right i mean again i think a lot of the legends and a lot of the myths are about i mean again yeah the pretty obviously just othering the other whatever right. that other is whether that's there whether that's these are cautionary tales about burial rites or cautionary tales about don't let the moldovans into our country because we hate them or whatever uh is going on um they have weird traditions so look they probably eat right. people and turn into creatures at night when you're not looking and eat your, steal your chickens okay i mean there is something there that i wanted to pick up on maybe yeah. later when i have a full form thought but it's but it's interesting you said about um about the threat of the past and yeah so so more of these this this level of you know monstrousness is coming from something uh something before us uh, un, uh and unavoidable and all, and so in a sense it's not very it's not like progressive it's not like the the science story of moving forward i think that's sure, interesting sure. If, if that's that's where the monsters are coming from as opposed to you know aliens uh, I mean, yeah exactly I mean, I mean sometimes i mean i think this is what ends up starting to end what starts to end up happening in you know for lack of a better term i guess you could sort of pin this on the industrial revolution right when when mm. cities become havens for people fleeing a crumbling system i think these that's what these monsters are. we start to the past you know takes on two hues it becomes sort of a road we look on it with rose-colored glasses and oh everything was better back then and yes that is not a new thing either people right people have said that mm -hmm. from the fucking 1300s right you know oh my the last generation was the best generation or whatever but it really kicks into gear in in the industrial revolution um in a way that we can recognize and yeah that's a little for my money that's a little bit about what gothic literature is about right like <clears throat> it's this weird conversation between modernism and like the past, right? Because in Gothic, in anything that's Gothic, like the old the castles are old, right? You you mm -hmm. go to an old creaky house, right? You have to go to the past to get this fear, right? And I think mm -hmm. that's just like I don't know. That's maybe you know the present working out its own its own weird schizophrenic relationship to where it came from a little bit. Um, this may be getting way too deep, people. So. Right. Us. Um, oh, we're we're going to get deeper, but 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 right. <laughs> but yeah. But moving on for now. Sure. Uh, moving on for now. So let's jump to the Universal Monster movies because these are the images that really set the palette for not just America, right? Because we all know America's major export is not is not a physical object. It's 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 the coolness that the American cinema can bring, and one of the coolness that the American cinema sets up. <clears throat> Are these creatures, right? Are these iconic movies? Dracula is a huge hit for Universal, right? Um, which really starts this off, right? Um, makes Bella Lugosi a big star. Um, and uh, then from there, you, you get the Wolfman, you get Frankenstein, you get the Invisible Man. Um, you get you get these iconic – the creature from the Black Lagoon, although it's not Universal. They bring it in, but whatever. Um you get these iconic images that that stick and stay um, so much so that like the Frankenstein movie is really – and the image of Frankenstein in that movie, Boris Karloff as the monster in that movie actually supplants everyone's memory of the fucking book, right? <laughs> it's, it's uh, Oh, for sure. Yeah. Um, it's a complete misrepresentation of the book in, in almost every way yeah. possible. Um, yeah. He's but, a square – flat top flat top guy, dude with the right? bolts on his okay. the bolts on his yeah. neck and uh and you know the it's alive even though everybody thinks that's frankenstein that's actually bride of frankenstein that whole line everything all of that stuff um 
and that's part of the power of of cinema. Let's let's be honest, right? Um, yes. But um, but not to give short shrift, ladies and gentlemen. Of course, I am very well aware these are not the first horror movies by any stretch of the imagination. Right when film starts, you immediately get the Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, which, if you haven't seen it, is a German expressionist film, absolutely gorgeous, by the way. If you get a chance to check it out, please do. Um, about a, a, a <laughs> I love this word, a somnambulist as the as the creature, right? Um, there's an evil doctor who is able to hypnotize hypnosis. Again, it's kind of an, another one of the first anti science science fiction movies, right? Oh, okay. um, anti science horror movies, right? This the evil person is the evil hypnotist, right? I I don't know if he's I don't know if he's couched as like any kind of psychiatrist because I don't know if that had taken root yet. But he's a hypnotist. He's a hypnotist, and he hypnotizes this young man and basically turns him into his weird zombie slave waking zombie slave he's a somnambulist mm. right he's able to walk at night um walk you know well and being controlled by this guy um and then of course you get nosferatu no doubt which is an ad with the er, the first filmed adaptation of dracula um and is a little more faithful to the book particularly in the beginning at least um and you get that fucking unbelievably iconic image um of uh max schmeling um as the Nosferatu, which is crazy pants, um, crazy good, and still scary as fucking all get out, um, as far as I'm concerned. Um, so yes, yeah, so obviously these are images that happen before before the Universal monster movies happen, and again, but they are maybe you could say why they happen. Those movies are popular, right? Everybody gets it, right? From the birth of cinema, mm -hmm. you get these myths and legends being pulled in to scare us, right? That there's they're right away, you know, meant to frighten us. Um, and, you know, you get the birth of horror, the hor and you get the birth of horror cinema. Um, it, what's interesting to me is there's no real definitive universal zombie movie. There is White Zombie. Yeah, it does star Bela Lugosi, but the story is really thin um, and is more of a, and at the time, everybody, everybody thinks the zombie is what we all think of it now, the Walking Dead zombie, which is actually not a, the Walking Dead zombie is actually a George Romero zombie, people. Um, so we don't get yeah. the zombie, the flesh-eating zombie that we know and love today um, until George Romero's Night of Living Dead drops. Uh, so the zombie, actually, the zombie film, and this may be why it's a little bit more obtuse and weird, is the Haitian drugged zombie. Humans that have been drugged and seemingly are dead go through this burial ritual and then come back, but they never actually die. Um, so white zombies about that. Um, and, yeah. maybe, and maybe that's why it's okay. just too weird because it's a Haitian thing. I don't know. It uh, Yeah, there's it, it doesn't uh, get the same iconic pantheon status in, yeah. in our minds as Dracula and the Wolfman do, which is interesting. I always wondered about that, that about, about the zombie thing, because, yeah, as you say, the zombies now are achieve their power more through a horde. It's not like... Right. <laughs> we don't think of the one singular king zombie. Right. And, uh, but okay. But yeah. So, I mean, yeah, that's, you know... And again, all of those, everything we're talking about, yes, even though mo a lot of them come from from books, Dracula, Frankenstein, but you could obviously trace those all the way back to to sort of to to sort of these myths, this folk, this folk, these folkloric legends, and even in the the movie Dracula, you know, you get a lot of the, the supposed uh, the Hungarians in the beginning of the movie, because um, Transylvania at that time, ladies and gentlemen, was part of Hungary, not part of Romania. Um, uh, you know, okay. the, the actor that's the, the character that is playing, um, uh, uh, fuck Renfield before he gets, he gets 
poofed by uh, Dracula into a little ghoul guy, is directly interacting with peasants who are mixing their weird Hungarian superstition with Christianity, and like uh, it's a it's a lovely little it's a lovely little moment of those two things sort of mashing up and mashing together. Um, and it's so elevating, you know. The Universal monster movies are so elevating. I'm sorry, I also forgot the Mummy, of course. Um, the Universal monster movies are so elevating, are so iconic in their imagery and their rhythm and their feel. Um, they become, yeah, they 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 supplant everything that comes before them in our mind's eye as as these creatures. Um, yeah, and they're really good for cinema as a genre, right? Just because yeah. they're. They're, you know, they're the money, like show us something that we're, you know, can't, can't see on stage, you know, because the eye gouging people are not, <laughs> not in town anywhere. I mean, let's, let's stop those eye gouging people. And this, um, right. You know, to really, uh, see these creatures brought to life. The other, I don't want to give too much short shrift to other cultures. I mean, again, I'm not terrible. I'm not terribly familiar with Indian, Indian, um, uh, subcontinental Indian film, so uh, I don't. I, I know they have a certain horror, horrific sort of concepts over there, but I don't know of any legends that they particularly translate to cinema. Um, Japan has an interesting thing called the yokai. Do you know about the? Do you know about the yokai? Not enough right. to speak about it, really. It, it is sort. Of, it is sort of a ghost spirit tradition. Exactly. Yeah, it's a right. ghost. It's 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 a ghost spirit thing that um, was really made possible uh, by. I'm gonna. Um, hopefully, I won't slaughter these names. Toriyama Seiken, um, who is actually, which is actually the pen name of Sano Toyofusa, um, an 18th century mm-hmm. scholar, um, who basically wrote these stories about these creatures. Again. Yokai can be translated roughly as apparition or goblin or monster or whatever. Um, and they range they, they range all over the place. They range from super cute to just, just terrifying um, as fuck. Um, and uh, the, the way I'm mostly familiar with them is the Great Yokai War, which is one of, oh, the, t- yeah. one of the two movies written by Takashi Miike, um, whom I'm sure I've talked about on this podcast more than once. Who is known for some really whacked out shit, people? Um, and one of the two movies he's ever written out of a career, and I'm not kidding here, folks. IMDb is ass of over 140 movies as a director. Is one of the two movies he writes is fucking the Great Yokai War, which is a kids movie about a kid basically getting caught up in the yokai um, uh, yokai war, but sort of a benevolent yokai versus these evil yokai, and uh, and they mix it up. Uh, if you haven't seen it, it's 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 a blast in the sort of t- in traditional Takashi Miike way, but he's like sort of toning it all down for a kid's movie with a kid at the center. Um, it's, it's a fascinating little flick. Um, yeah. It's kind of great. Um, and this also matches up a little bit with some of the Japanese traditions, and, I, and they're not yokai, the, the, the idea that every even inanimate objects have a spirit contained inside them. You know, Miyazaki films basically have that idea that they're these spirits that live inside these things, whether it's Calcifer from Howl's Moving Castle, who's the spire, fire, you know, the spirit that lives in the fire, or, uh, you know, just the, the forest spirits from Princess Mononoke, or whatever yeah. you want. Yeah, that they're all over there, Miyazaki there, films. There are a lot of foxes that transform into uh right. humans and stuff um yeah but it's more in the fable format and i i don't know who the yeah. central character for that is also i don't know if this is getting too into fairy tale land but we, we should also mm-hmm. mention that there are these creatures and beasties who um are are not objects of terror as they're i mean they're the ones that yeah. they, 
create wonder and create uh you know i'm thinking of the dragon or the yes. unicorn yeah i mean these are things that come up uh, again and again what's interesting and is they have different associations with them right? right and what's interesting is is there's still no like i mean i mean i guess most people now you know will walk away whenever game of thrones comes to an end and and, and they'll think of at least one of those dragons as sort of their iconic dragon but like there's no like iconic dragon that everybody thinks of, right? There's no the, the fuck. There's no unicorn, I guess, because unicorns are pretty universal. I mean, outside of Peter S. Beagle's The Last Unicorn, that animated right. film, which scars children whenever they see it, uh, as it should, because it's not really meant for children, but they tried. Um, definitely fucked my shit up when I saw it as a child. Um, there's just no one up. iconic you know, like unicorn or dragon character, right? I mean, or would you would you argue that there might be one? Like what? I mean, well, I mean, I know because it's. I mean, it's how they're like. It, it's how they're positioned in the story, right? I mean, the. Um, I mean, would would we say that the first dragon slaying story is is that is that Beowulf? I mean, does that kind of. I mean, create create the idea of the dragon as the the big bad and the, you know, that has a personality of its own. That's. Uh, that the that the human oh, story plays out. All right. Well, I mean, a lot. Of, I mean, what's mm. crazy is in a lot of literature. I think in a lot of myths and legends, dragons have a lot, especially in sort of the Nordic myths. The dragons have names, and that's where we get the whole named dragon thing. And they tend to be sneaky, or they tend to be weird, or they tend to be like whatever. Mm. Um, and you know, Smog from uh, Lord of the Rings is definitely based on that tradition a, a bit more. They're they're ancient, they're wise, but they're evil. Uh, they like money for no in particular reason because God knows what the fuck they're gonna spend it on. Um, but you know they're hoarding money. <laughs> they're just like sitting on it. They're That's just the sitting on it, thing. which means that gold that gold is covered in dragon shit. By the way, people, just so just think about that. Oh yeah, um, which has got to be horrible. Um, but yeah, I mean, again, I think Grendel is much more about the other because the dam, the Grendel and the dam isn't really. I mean, they're defined. They got these crazy claws and stuff. But I mean, and Grendel actually, the other thing about a Beowulf is that there's a section of Beowulf where he actually goes and kills a specifically a dragon uh, that lives in a lake. So, oh, is there? Oh, okay. Yeah. I always thought of Grendel as kind of a dragon, maybe based Guess. on how it was drawn in that version. But oh, and he yeah, he also goes and kills specifically a dragon. Yeah, yeah, he does in that. Uh, there's a sequence in, where he does that. Um, so I don't know. I, I, I don't know, but I, I, these, I don't okay. know. It's just endlessly fascinating to me that there's not – I mean we can name some dragons. I mean obviously I can name Smog uh, as a dragon character. Yeah. We've got the cute, weird cat puppy dragon from How to Train Your Dragons, uh, the dragon <laughs> movie. Um, but I can't – like again, I just don't – Yeah, there's, no there's, s- that, there's that cute one in Mulan and there's the – uh, Right. You know, they show up in Shrek 2. You know, this, this again goes back to like mm. – there, there are more. I think there are more different character interpretations of dragons. Yeah. Um, there's, yeah. there's, there's more space for the to do a, you know, an an interesting reframing of the character. Yeah, um, I mean, yeah, I mean, there's definitely a way to elevate dragons, right? Like Smog is right, an elevated like, dragon <clears throat> to a, to to a certain extent, right? Whereas like <laughs> dragons in Reign of Fire, uh, with Matthew McConaughey and, and fucking Christian Bale are totally forgettable. You know, there's no real. I mean, outside of Clash of the Titans, there's no definitive like Pegasus movie. There's no definitive unicorn movie, as far as I know. Um, it is interesting that a lot of these myths and legends don't get. I mean, you know, Neverending Story, you know, has the big fluffy white dragon, so he's pretty cool. Um, there's no, there's just a, a, the stuff we tend to remember and we can name check. Yeah, they tend to be slightly horrific, you know. I mean, I, I don't know. One thing I always liked about the uh, monster genre is the that it created a uh, 
a sort of predator for humans. I mean, <laughs> I literally agree, but, but you know what I mean? I mean, just, yeah. it, it, you know, to, oh, to paraphrase our dishonored comic, uh, you know, Louis C.K., one of his great bits is, you know, humans took themselves out of the food chain. So something right. about creating these oh, monster really... movies is is putting yeah. humans in a place where there's something bigger and badder that would get you. You know, you have to worry about being the prey. And of course, that's the roots of, like, many monster movies. But I think... That's genius. I mean, no, I hadn't thought about it that way. That's great, yeah. We, we no longer are the apex predator running around. Yeah, no, totally. Yeah, yeah. And I think that has to do with the iconic power of Dracula and, uh, you know, the mummy to an extent. Um, hmm. Uh, because you you discover a thing and all of a sudden you know it's at the top of the world you know you, <laughs> right, yeah. you have to you have to worry about running around from it and um it does relate to dragons too in some way that i'm really blanking on what my big connection was there but i think there's well outside <laughs> of the fact that the dragon's gonna fuck your shit up i mean like no matter what you you can't bring a can't bring a rifle to a dragon fight right i mean it's just not gonna work yeah i mean yeah. supposedly and, and they're I definitely mean, the apex predators in their in their world right like that's that's a, that's that's how they uh allured us in the in the dungeons and dragons yes. uh you know books they're just like wow this great thing and i'm always gonna have to you know i'm gonna have to plan my whole life against potentially meeting Me- this creature once, <laughs> ah, once, that's a know, great idea that's a great at some point. point it's in the goddamn name of the game people dungeons and dragons right, right. go to a dungeon you're gonna have to kill a dragon at some point or you're or at least the dragon you're gonna have to fucking face a dragon definitely yeah no that's a great point they're definitely the apex predators of the D world that's awesome that's an awesome way to think about it we would be remiss and we wouldn't be us if we also didn't i didn't talk about the horror myths getting drug into comic books. And I just want to touch on this because it's so mm. interesting in the fact that it's, I don't know. I still don't think it's done very well, but there's, and I just also love how like they tried to crack this code, right? Like, so <laughs> dig this. And they're basically, let's be honest, the, especially Marvel comics, sixties and seventies, they're just taking the universal, the uni- the, the literal universal monsters, like basically drawing the universal monsters into their comics and fuck oh, yeah. copyright. Right. Of those. Did you know this? Frankenstein uh, – okay, the Frankenstein – technically, yes, people. I know it's technically Frankenstein's monster, but I'm just going to say Frankenstein. Did you know Frankenstein mm-hmm. is a goddamn howling commando? Was he? Yes. Oh, I think, I, I think I've seen that. <laughs> which is a, amazing to me. I had no idea that was a thing, um, which is yeah. – I find absolutely hysterical. That, that's how they sort of weave him into the, into the Marvel Comics universe as a fucking howling commando for Nick Fury. Um uh, of course, they the, the the creature that actually gets his own book. A couple of them do. Werewolf by Night, which is which is a, 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 frankly an oxymoron if you think about it. Because uh, when else is he going to be a werewolf? Uh, oh, right. Because yeah. I suppose he doesn't have a brother that run around saying werewolf by day. But whatever, werewolf by night. Yeah, that was, yeah. Whose first goddamn appearance? I did not know this until doing my research. I did not realize his first appearance was in Moon Knight. Uh, an obvious connection. Oh. But yeah, based on sense. based on Moon Knight, but only based on Moon Knight's name, having nothing to do with his history because he's actually supposed to be from Egyptian mythology. So werewolves, as far as I know, didn't really show up in ancient Egypt. Uh, I don't know. Werewolves are a sand thing. Oh, my God. I just created a high concept horror movie. Werewolves in the sand desert. Wolf? Sand wolf. Oh, okay. Yes. Werewolves in the desert. Come on, people. We got to make this happen. All right. Um, uh, and then, of course, you get Tomb of Dracula, which is actually a hit. Now, uh, please remember. Folks, all of this is uh, Marvel Comics just shamelessly trying to crib off of EC Comics and, and, and trying to 
earn money off of uh, the horror comics thing. But what's interesting is Marvel's such a wuss, they wait until the 70s to release all these books when the comics code actually starts to relax a little bit. If you don't know what the comics code is, I'm not going to go into it. I talk about it in a bunch. Yeah, interesting, huh? So in the 70s, the comics code started to relax, and so Marvel tried to jump into the horror genre and started to release all of these creature creature books. So Dracula, yes, there's a couple of different versions of Dracula in the in the in the Marvel universe um, running around, um, and of course Marvel also has a, a, a limbo, which is kind of hell. I I don't know if they've ever actually officially mm. made the distinction between limbo and hell with Mephisto running around. You get Blade, uh, who is a half vampire, half human dude, uh, kicking around, and he shows up in Tomb of Dracula as a Dracula hunter. Um, uh, yeah, anybody else I'm missing in the particularly in the Marvel in the Marvel comics because in DC what's interesting to me is that like Batman becomes the place where all these characters start to show up, right? Like Batman uh, yeah. You know, Batman gets There's... to be the the repository of the supernatural which makes no fucking sense either just because yes. Batman's in yeah. a dark broody alleyway, he gets vampires thrown at him for some reason. Well, he even has that Foe named Man the Bats, if we're remembering. <laughs> that is, kind of, kind of, kind point. of a gimme. Kind of a gimme Batman there. Villain, but he was definitely based off the vampire model, or yeah. you know, the sort of shape-changing creature, creature feature model. Can, can I throw out a, a secret makes, hope I have? That, uh, sure. That the Batman movie franchises will get so fucking thin, they'll get so desperate where they're actually going to start doing that. They'll start throwing supernatural creatures at him. I, I, I wanted to get. Oh that God, bad. yes. I want that to happen. Yeah. Although I guess they already threw some supernatural stuff around in Suicide Squad, but I, I, I kind of want that to happen. Oh yeah, no, because because uh, enough of these dudes that just you know again have penguins and guns. You know, let's go, let's yeah. get a little more elaborate with man bat and it's... man wolf in the Spider Man movie. You know, <laughs> while while we're at it, we're with the silly, silly sure. uh, reverse names, but uh, that drawing from the same tradition. Yes. Yes, and you know there there was a point you were gonna make at some point that the monsters were kind of the superheroes of of yeah. their time, right? I and... mean, it's the other thing though. It's it's interesting. We tend to forget that half of the Universal monsters are actually super sympathetic, right? Like Frankenstein's yeah. sympathetic. The Mummy is kind of sympathetic, right? He's he's experienced this crazy love story, right? Um, sure, he's murdering people along the way, but you know he's vaguely sympathetic. The creature from the Black Lagoon, again, who eventually gets looped into the Universal world is kind of sympathetic in the first movie at least is kind of sympathetic um eventually he just becomes an asshole who likes to tear shit apart um but um but yeah no it's it's interesting that you always have and certainly the wolfman is 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 easily pitched as a tragic story it's a tragic love story right the first wolfman is like nothing but a tragic love story so it is. We do tend to forget that, uh, you know, outside of really, outside of really, Dracula and the Invisible Man. Um, and again, whether the Invisible Man is, you, I wouldn't even throw him into this. He's, he's from um, Jesus Christ. I almost said Victor Hugo. Um, H. G. Wells. Um, <laughs> um, you know, right. outside the, but but, but he, he he's included in the universe, the Universal Monster Universe he in some form, mainly as a result of being from the same period. Right? Same period, exactly, uh, and and okay. having a killer and just a great performance by Claude Rains. If, again, if you don't know who that is, your 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 life oh, is is, is not good. Um, uh, please research Claude Rains. He's a fantastic, wonderful actor. Um, but yeah, but anyway, but so I mean, really, Dracula is sort of the only uber uber villain of that whole group, right? Um, all of them are slightly mm. misunderstood weird creatures who are either 
trying to get love back in their life and they just can't do it because they're fucking undead um, or they're just straight up misunderstood, um, which is interesting, I think. Um, uh, so, yeah. any I can't think of any real... I mean, DC has a very deep tradition of like the mystical part of their universe for sure, but this I, I can't think of any major characters that are based off of particularly the universal monsters. Did you ever see the, those... Japanese Frankenstein giant monster movies, by the way. Oh my god, no. What, we, is, what is this? This is totally oh. okay. We're abandoning DC. Fuck DC. I'm, I'm into this. What the fuck? What do you mean, Frankenstein? Giant, I was trying Japanese to think of a DC movie. thing and my mind flipped over to what's, what's that? Oh, well, uh, you know, at some point when I was absorbing all the Godzilla and Kaiju movies, uh, right? Japan also did a version of the Frankenstein Kaiju, which huh. is basically a gigantic. Just a gigantic version of that guy. He looks kind of more like a caveman mop head. Um, okay. And it's a, he, he fights some Godzilla knockoffs named Baragorn or something like that. All right. And um, and yeah, that was just another that was another cool reinterpretation of of nice. the Frankenstein myth. No, and I, and again, you know, sort of. Uh, much more in a sort of sympathetic lost soul kind of way. You just happen right. to be able to destroy things. That's a character that they're mm. o- okay with portraying. Uh, which was Godzilla too. Now that I think about it, he's just a big destructive force that sure. um, 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 ends up having a heart of gold, for lack of a better word. Well, yeah. I mean, he's yeah, he's. Great. They should have just left him the fuck alone, right? I mean, that's the great thing yeah. about. Again, we remember these movies so – it's amazing how quickly we remember them. We misremember them, right? Like Godzilla, oh, yeah, yeah. he stomps and he kills stuff and he, he destroys Tokyo. It's like, no, we created him and if you just left him the fuck alone – again, it is – it's a, it's obviously a Frankenstein story if you just le- – in the good way, right, which is we made him and if we yeah. just left him the fuck alone, everything would be fine. <laughs> but no, we keep poking at him and so he comes and he kicks our ass. So there you go. Well, I'm going to try to make this point because okay. I've tried to make it three times and haven't made it yet. And if, <laughs> if I can't, if I can't, I'll if I can't, I'll just edit. It All right. Out. But it's Here we more go. of a question of like, do you think the monster movies are more given to? Uh, I just want to say they're they they there's a danger that they're regressive in the way that we think about them and i guess i mean because the they are coming they're coming from the past they're coming they're coming from this sort of sort of what you're a little bit of what you're talking about with the association of of devils and the old thing and all that shit is dangerous and yeah do do you mean dangerous in terms of like bad storytelling dangerous or do you what do you mean by dangerous in this situation can we have elevation in the yes. dracula mummy area given right. that we don't seem we seem to have done the third version of that mummy movie and she's yes. still just a big beastie although now she's a woman that's great yeah. and um no I, I i think i okay i can jump in here i'm pretty sure i i'll, I'll yeah. try to reframe it as well uh, not reframe it but restate it um and yeah. what i think you're trying to say which is yeah, the problem is the horror genre is evergreen and, you know, if anybody's even thought of joining the stupid film industry for a second, one of the first thing as a creator, one of the first things you're told is horror just make a horror movie because it sells and it's and it's easy, right? And there and that audience mm-hmm. will watch anything. Now, that is reductive and ridiculous uh, as much as it is true. Unfortunately, right? I mean, 
horror yeah. movie fans will, and especially, especially back in the day, even before the explosion of the straight to video blockbuster thing, you know, horror operates on the in the in the fringes and like, but a lot of there's a lot of content, but you had to go sort of find it, right? It's and it's um, and that means a a lot of that content got made very quickly, very cheaply, and not and was mm-hmm. not and was only thought of as a cash grab, right? So that reduces those story in general, and especially the characters at the center, not just the human characters, but the creatures to, you know, sometimes literally cardboard cutouts or dudes in suits, right? Really bad dudes in suits in order to try to make a couple of quick scares and a couple of quick bucks because we know they'll these fucking people will watch it or this or these companies will buy it and put it on late night television or whatever that history is. Um, so, yeah, and I mean, and again, it's just because it's a thoughtless re-rendering of the other, right? Which is just this this other thing that's outside of our understanding that comes and murders us all. Um, and yeah, I we, think that's what I'm saying. And thank you for helping me tease out. It's it's this yeah. it's, it's just continuing, like, it, it it's always the other and and... Mm-hmm. You know, Dracula is always going to kill you. We we don't have a higher idea of Dracula. Okay, well, whatever. We have the sexy teen version now, but I don't even <laughs> want to credit that. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, and, it's also it's just it's. I think it's. I think it takes a very good storyteller to retread this ground in a, a unique, interesting way. Yes, and you know, I we I think we could spend another podcast and focus only on the things that really truly elevate it. I mean, I think we've gone over a bit of an overview about what makes it mm-hmm. what makes it itself and then we could talk about now, you know, eventually in a whole other podcast, like which which pieces of this use it to elevate itself, right? I mean again, something like yeah. a Buffy comes along and reinvigorates the vampire genre to such a degree that people get really interested in it. Again, one of the, the brilliant things there is that they shift the vampire to the background. They move, uh, you know, a superheroine into the foreground. Place her as a teenager. You get a very good writer like Joss Whedon, um, who can then blend the horror with the comedy, and you get a new take on something. Something becomes fresh and modern, um, while still getting the crazy othering of the vampires, right? Um, yeah. And, and so you get things like that that start to happen, you know, and. Or start to happen or just people – again, it just takes a very good storyteller now to retread this ground because, I mean, look at what we just talked about. This shit goes back to the goddamn Inquisition, right? And all of that is in our DNA, right? I mean it is. It's in, you know, it, again, you, I'm still not expecting the Spanish Inquisition because nobody Spanish, expects the Spanish Inquisition. Inquisition. Goddamn right. Um, <laughs> I, love, I love that origin point. There it is. Uh, you know, and we haven't even talked about much of television, right? How all these things do cross over into TV sometimes. Um, just want to say shout out to the original – one of the original Fox shows, if people don't remember. <clears throat> the mm. Tracy Ullman show. Uh, I'm forgetting the Beautiful other one. show. And I am forgetting one of the other ones. Uh, and motherfucking Werewolf, people. There was a TV show called just straight up called Werewolf and it was one of the original Fox what? shows. That, yeah, you really? did you never see that? And it was totally, <laughs> totally ripped from the Wolfman. Um, it it has all of the Wolfman mythology from the Universal horror movies. Meaning, you get the pentagram on your hands, uh, whatever, and you turn into a werewolf. It's a it's a 
it was a pretty fine little show. Um, anyway, so one of the original. Was Fox it after shows. 21 Jump Street? I um, fucking don't no, remember that one it was, at all. I'm pretty sure it was before 21 Jump Street hit the air. But anyway, yes, Werewolf, little show called Werewolf. Shout out to you. We love and you're, you. And you're not thinking about Manimal. I am not thinking about Manimal, motherfucker. I have a whole fucking association with Manimal. Manimal was way okay. before this, by the way. Manimal was okay. like 81. Yeah. Uh, it might even be 80. I just smushed them all together. But. Yes, uh, just so people know, ladies and gentlemen, Manimal was about a dude who could turn into different animals. Manimal. Um, there you go. Um, I have a crazy story about my grandmother and Manimal, actually. Um, it's wow. Not, it's, <laughs> it's not that good of a story, but uh, I'll save it for some other time on the podcast. I just – one of the reasons Manimal has stayed in my brain forever, one of my major memories. Grand Manimal. Grand Manimal. No. Grand Manimal. Does that work? No. Uh, it, it should. It that, should. <laughs> All right. Holy sounds shit. Sounds like a web series. All right. Boy, are we fucking bringing this happen. to a close now on a sad note. All right. On Granimal, ladies and okay. gentlemen, we're done. Um, you've done it again. You've spent some time with Dom and I talking about ridiculous shit like Granimal and the Spanish Inquisition, the yokai universal monsters and fucking penny dreadfuls and fucking people getting their eyes drilled out on stage. Look, the world is interesting, right? I mean, fuck. Mm. Come on, Frank, uh, Japanese Frankenstein monsters. We didn't even talk about – there's a South Korean television show called fucking Vampire Detective, which makes me crazy. I haven't – the fact that I haven't seen it. No, um, that sounds good. It sounds good, right? Right? Vampire Detective? I'll watch that fucking show. But anyway, uh, some other time. So uh, we usually end this uh, lovely craziness with uh, sort of telling you what we're working on, folks. Um, as usual, I'm still stuck in post-production land with Joanne, but things are – the end is nigh, I believe, in the next couple of months. Actually, we're so close to being done. I'm literally bringing in the last seven or yeah. so special effects shots. Uh, the score is started. The dialogue, We're in the middle of the dialogue cleanup. The Foley's going. I'm fucking the, just excited. We've hired a colorist. Oh, my God. Um, we're getting there. It's almost almost done. Um, so that's exciting. Um did you have a date or a festival that you were shooting for, and no. even in a soft way, or no, it's just nothing. as long as it takes? As long as it takes, baby, for me right now is fine. Okay. Um, so, I mean, I'll, I will, I will literally throw myself out a window if we're not done by Cannes, which is in May. But, um, but whatever. Um, and again, ladies and gentlemen, that doesn't mean we're going to submit this movie to Cannes. That just means we might go to the festival with, uh, not the festival, the market uh, at Cannes and, and, and flog our product. But um, Right. But just to clarify, sometimes these time <clears throat> deadlines are useful just in structuring your own work. Not yes, necessarily like exactly. you're going to set your whole world on like... I'm- I'm pretty sure. Gotta be can or bus. Yeah, no, we'll be done. <clears throat> we'll be done way before can. But uh, I'm, I'm, yeah, no, I mean, yeah. But uh, that's good. I'm running around flogging a werewolf VR project literally today and tomorrow. Um, so that's still trying to make that shit happen. Uh, oh, cool. Blah, blah, blah. Um, what's going on in your world, Dom? There's Dom.com and there's, I'm uh, doing some stuff for Yum Yum F. All I right. just. I'll just pretend I have a great big secret project that I can't even speak of right of now for some legal reason. Perfect reason. Per- exactly. Totally believe you. Okay, folks. The other announcement that's pretty big is this is it for us for uh, 2017. We're going to disappear yeah. on your ass, um, go into the holidays, come back refreshed, maybe with a little new look, a little new shiny in January, and we will keep trying to bring you content Probably on a bi-weekly basis, we're about to admit that uh, 
the weekly thing kind of kicked our ass and uh, and we weren't able to keep it up. And so in order to keep our own sanity, or at least particularly mine, um, we're going to go ahead and sw- switch to bi-weekly, try to look for us bi-weekly. Um, and yeah. I think that's a, a schedule Dom and I can both handle. Um, we still want to bring you, you know, cool. But if we happen to do three in a month, the world isn't falling it's down It's going to fall either. apart. Exactly. It could happen. It could happen. So it crazy. Happen. Just... Yeah. And, uh, um, you know. It's it's always and to be honest with you, you know, we've done this now over a year. I'm very proud of that. I'm proud of the content that we've created. Um, you know, we're not bringing you massive revelations most of the time, but we're talking about stuff at an interesting <laughs> level and coming at it from an interesting angle. And um, uh, you know, and for all of you, you know, 13 or so listeners out there, um, we appreciate you, and um, it's cool. If you like us, we love you. We'd love you right back. Um, go ahead and leave us a review on Very iTunes. So. Uh, it helps us helps maybe people find us. We got a Facebook page, you know that kind of thing. You know the deal. Comment, like, subscribe, and we will see you in the new year. Dom, yeah, say goodbye. Happy twenty seventeen. Yeah, let's man. hope for something excellent in twenty eighteen. Yes, let's all hope for that thing. It probably starts with the word impeachment. Um, <laughs> bye. Right. Bye.